Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. Today we are talking about Public Law 849 and the Flood Control and Coastal Emergencies Appropriation with Willem Helms. Thanks for joining us here today, Willem. Thanks all, and a pleasure to be involved in another one of your great podcasts. Thank you. We're, we're really excited about the, the podcast. We've recently uh, eclipsed the 100th episode, so that's uh, a fun fun milestone for us. But, you know, today we wanted to talk a little bit first about yourself and then and get into the importance of this this flood control and coastal emergencies appropriation and this public law and really talking about how the court kind of does some of these emergency responses. But could you tell us about yourself and your role at the court? Sure. Uh, let me give a little background first. I began my career with the Corps of Engineers in the Kansas City District. Uh, I actually grew up in the great state of Kansas, uh, became exposed to the Corps of Engineers at an early age through a nearby reservoir called Perry Lake. Uh, so kind of had good familiarity with the Corps of Engineers and thought, you know, hey, this might be a worthwhile career to pursue. So in any case, began my career with Kansas City District and then uh, eventually ended up in the emergency management office so in Kansas City District, I was exposed to the riverine environment and flood responses associated with that. Moved on to the North Atlantic Division, where I then became more exposed to the impacts of coastal storms and what we do during the emergency management uh, activities. And then from the North Atlantic Division, took an opportunity at the headquarters as the Public Law 8499 Program Manager, and uh, have certainly enjoyed the job ever since. Well, we appreciate you being with us today. And I I know the Corps is really good about talking about public laws and engineering circulars and appropriations in general. So it's always important to kind of talk about what they are and why they're important. So what is Public Law 8499 and the Flood Control and Coastal Emergencies Appropriation? Angie, I'll be happy to answer that question. Uh, so Public Law 8499 uh, was an authority that began in 1941 in a Flood Control Act, uh, went through various amendments, and then was formally uh, codified in 1955 as Public Law 8499. And it is enables the Corps of Engineers to accomplish emergency management activities. And so we've certainly scoped implementation of the law around that so that we look at things from the, all phases of emergency management. Uh, so that means we're out preparing through all of our emergency management offices across the United States and all the districts. Uh, we then respond during flood or coastal storms by assisting uh, state, tribal, territorial, or local officials with their flood response requirements. And then after the flood has occurred, we then uh, go out and within the rehabilitation program, we'll repair eligible projects uh, so that Again, flood risk management benefits are immediately, hopefully immediately restored for that community that's affected. And then all of those program activities under public law 8499 have to be funded, of course, and that funding source is the flood control and coastal emergencies appropriation. That's great. So I was, you know, listening to you talk. So the core, we prepare, then we respond, and then we recover. So hopefully we don't have to do the recovery too often. Um, but could you talk, you know, obviously a little bit about each of those, the preparing, the responding, and recovery, and what types of activities we could see in each of those phases? Sure. 
So in the preparedness, uh, let's say the preparedness activities that the Corps of Engineers accomplishes, those are largely uh, implemented through, again, our district uh, offices throughout the United States. And those preparedness activities include planning. So we're going to plan for all the scope, all natural hazards that the applicable district may be faced with. Then once we have a plan in place, we have to train to that plan. Uh, so on an annual basis, we accomplish several training activities in all the districts across the United States in partnerships with our partners, of course. And then accordingly, we also have to exercise as well. So we'll be accomplishing you know, flood fight exercises in certain districts and then assessing how those exercises went so that we're fully prepared for the next flood or coastal storm event. Uh, so then when we respond, this is after a flood or a coastal storm event has occurred, or during, I should say, when that event has occurred, uh, we then, the core districts will respond to requests for assistance for specific activities to help mitigate against flood risk. And so commonly our personnel are out there providing technical assistance, as in engineering expertise, to these uh, requesting agencies. Or in some cases, we may actually perform direct assistance by actually constructing things that will help mitigate against flood risk. And then, as, as I mentioned, we also have recovery uh, capability, and that's implemented through our rehabilitation program where we repair existing flood or coastal storm risk management infrastructure so that it's, again, ready for the next storm. That's great to understand here. Like this, this planning isn't just like, you know, you're sitting in some room somewhere, right? I mean, you're working with the states and the counties and the locals out there to be really prepared so you can have a, a unified response when there's a disaster. Um, and, and I know I've worked on some of these emergencies in upper Midwest, uh, you know, direct assistance and building levees and whether that's earthen levees and making sure that, you know, the community is out there doing sandbagging and we're providing pumps and technical assistance. Like it's really, this is a really critical service our engineers provide to local entities to deliver and, and really protect uh, communities and give them a fighting chance in these times of need. So I just want to emphasize the importance of this and the great work that you and your team have been doing. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, I certainly always see the benefits of this vital program for the Corps of Engineers. And again, as you mentioned, it takes a team to accomplish this. And certainly the forefront of that team are the district emergency management professionals in place and all the engineers and all the other supporting employees within that district that provide that vital service to the public. And if people don't know the Corps of Engineers, you know, one of our main mission is to make sure everybody is safe, including our employees and the public. The Corps has a long history of responding to disasters, and part of that goes with additional supplementals that we get to help us execute some of this work during the recovery phase. So can you talk about the funding that the Corps receives through disaster supplementals for things like flood control and coastal emergencies, and maybe highlight a couple of the projects that are included? Uh, sure. Uh, so, as I mentioned, all of the activities under public law 8499 are funded with the flood control and coastal emergencies appropriation. And that appropriation uh, rise to the core in basically two different ways. 
So the first is that the Corps will prepare an annual uh, budgetary request for what we call the regular flood control and coastal emergencies appropriation. And that regular appropriation funds the preparedness activities that I mentioned. So it's, again, all of those emergency management professionals in the core districts across the United States and in our division offices. And then in addition to funding the labor of those emergency management professionals, also funds, as I mentioned, the planning, training, and exercise activities uh, that are accomplished. The second way we receive the flood control and coastal emergencies appropriation is through supplementals. And th these supplementals largely arise as a result of specific disaster events. Uh, so all the way back to 2017, such as uh, Harvey, Irma, Maria, uh, we had some significant catastrophic floods in 2019, and more recently, Hurricane Ida and various flood events in between. And so there's, as to be expected, extensive damages that occur from those flood or coastal storm uh, events. And then in turn, we then are often requested by Congress to prepare an estimate of what the damage repair requirements will be. And we provide that estimate through the administration to those congressional committees, and then ultimately results in uh, disaster supplementals. And in this case, again, resulting in supplementals for the flood control and coastal emergencies appropriation. And so the supplementals for the most part in the Corps of Engineers have been used to address these damage repair requirements. And so, for example, in Harvey Armour Maria, we had extensive damages to projects in Puerto Rico and then along the Gulf Coast. And so we utilize those uh, supplemental appropriations to repair those projects. So again, they can perform as designed for the next event uh, down the road that we can all well expect. Some good examples of projects that we accomplished, uh, I'd like to highlight, for example, the uh, significant amount of projects we accomplished as a result of the 2019 uh, catastrophic floods in the upper Midwest. Throughout the Omaha district, we accomplished some significant repairs to federal systems in those projects. And in one particular case, we're, we're able to actually facilitate a levee raise around Hamburg, Iowa, utilizing another component of the authority to accomplish the levee raise, as well as address the underlying repair requirements and using a combination of the flood control and coastal emergencies appropriation some cash contributions from the non-federal sponsor, we were able to restore the levy and, and provide some improvements, so to speak, uh, for that community, and then further enable their flood risk mitigation requirements for the next flood event. You know, it, it's interesting hearing about these repairs and, you know, so you got a flood, you get all these damages and repairs, but like the government just doesn't come to the assistance of everybody, right? I mean, so how do cities or communities be part of this program where they're eligible for these funds? Sure, so the uh, general way we can consider requests for assistance is first, prior to the flood event, interface with what has to be a non-federal sponsor of a, like a levy, for example, or in some cases, a beach engineered beach project in coordination with that non-federal sponsor, we'll verify uh, what we call continued eligibility requirements. Uh, so in essence, that the project meets core of engineers criteria, 
therefore be considered for continued eligibility in the public law 8499 rehabilitation program. Uh, so what that means in practice is that they have generally operation and maintenance activities specified for that project on an uh, annual basis as long as that non-federal sponsor continues to operate and maintain that project in accordance with those standards, uh, they'll therefore then be eligible for post-flood or coastal storm rehabilitation assistance, you know, when a disaster event occurs. When these projects are fully repaired, what benefits will they provide local communities? Sure, that's a great question, uh, Angie. And so, ultimately, our goal when restoring or repairing these projects uh, is to ensure that they deliver the flood risk management that the projects were intended, originally intended to provide. Uh, so I think as of recently, I saw the return on flood risk management projects uh, somewhere around like $8 for every dollar invested. So that in and of itself is a great return on federal investment. So in order to ensure the full scope of those benefits, they obviously have to be in a fully repaired condition. So this program in and of itself ensures that we're able to provide the full benefits for which those projects were originally intended to deliver for those lo local communities and specifically with flood risk management in mind. So, you know, looking at these programs as a whole, I remember like, you know, when I first started with the core, you know, we'd, we'd go to some of these communities and we'd help them out. It seemed like every single spring. And, and I remember one of the communities telling us like, well, you know, why do I need a permanent project when I have the Corps of Engineers? Like they come in here and they they fight this flood for me on an emergency basis every year. And that's the best flood protection that that they could ever get and the most cost effective for those communities. But over time, those floods became worse and worse. And I think, you know, the climate change probably plays some impact in this. And those communities have, have moved towards permanent projects, uh, which is always what, you know, we expect to do is see those permanent projects. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, perhaps how climate change is impacting the, the Corps' ability to respond and the types of responses that, that we see? Yeah, that's a great question, Aaron. And I can say specifically to the implementation of public law 8499 and the associated program activities, we're certainly seeing an increase in the events that we respond to. And so, you know, overall, we've looked at climate change and its impact uh, for, at least within the scope of this program, as resulting in more events, uh, let's say more in intensity and then more extremes. And so extremes could mean, you know, let's say more significant drought events uh, because uh, under the program, we also provide emergency water assistance in uh, drought situations, but also, of course, the other extreme where we respond more significantly, more frequently, I should say, uh, which are flood or coastal storm events. Uh, so all of those impacts in and of itself uh, certainly are evident in the amount of uh, activities we're implementing under the Public Law 8499 program. But I would further expand that by saying when we see impacts under the Public Law 8499 program as a part of the overall Corps of Engineers Civil Works program, we're certainly, let's say, the initial bell bellwether for uh, flood risk management challenges in, that affect uh, local communities. We serve as a good entryway to then considering, let's say, longer term and perhaps improve flood risk management uh, solutions. 
again, consider this all under that big umbrella. And so commonly, if we see activities under Public Law 8499, the next step is we'll, of course, convene the Silver Jackets program, which is a great interagency, intergovernmental, across community program to facilitate those conversations on addressing those longer-term flood risk management challenges. And so there, that's a good coordination and communication forum, which then may result in further locally enacted solutions, uh, or in some cases, potentially generate interest under the civil works uh, planning uh, activities, and then may result in ultimately additional water resource uh, solutions under the civil works program for that affected community. We're nearing the end of our time together, but before we depart, can you talk a little bit about some of the future innovative approaches to implementing the Public Law 8499 program activity? Sure. Uh, I would say one significant activity is that we're currently accomplishing a, an amendment uh, to the federal rule uh, which implements Public Law 8499, and that's known as 33 Code of Federal Regulations Part 203. So in order to implement a law, we need generally a federal rule to implement. In this case, uh, that's the rule. And so as a part of that rule update, we're proposing to uh, utilize a risk-informed decision-making process to inform continued eligibility determinations on flood or coastal storm risk management projects. And so we're really looking forward to this innovative approach to addressing uh, continued eligibility in the program uh, because we believe it'll afford uh, great flexibility to consider all those challenges across the United States and in the end ultimately uh, help ensure as many of the flood and coastal storm risk management projects can remain eligible in the program uh, so that they do receive that critical uh, post-flood or coastal storm uh, disaster assistance under the program. Thanks. And I think that this is really one of the most impactful programs that the Corps of Engineers has. So for our listeners out there, I would strongly encourage you um, to volunteer for response type activities and recovery activities, because that's really an opportunity for you to get in front of the public, really benefit them directly and immediately. You know, sometimes you work on a civil works project in 10, 15 years to complete, but this is something that you can go out there and you can see the benefits and how you're helping people really on day one. So uh, this is a great service that the Corps provides for the nation and, and really one of the, the most exciting things for me is to see how we can help people and be responsive. So Willem, I just want to thank you for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.